Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the Band Music Hurts podcast, a show dedicated to celebrating and discussing our favorite records. Today's record is Sturgill Simpson's A Sailor's Guide to Earth. I'm Mark Barrowcliffe, and with me today, as always, is someone that left his senior design cave just for us. It's Michael Barrowcliffe. <laughs> I'm still surviving, getting through it. Glad to be here. It's early, and uh, the sun now just finally uh, is coming up in Milwaukee, so happy to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. And as always, the long-awaited, much-anticipated, soon-to-be Mama G2, it's Amy Grenaccio. <laughs> Hi, guys. Good morning. Yeah, let me just point out that you guys do not have a right to complain. I cannot drink caffeine right now, so... <laughs> you poor soul. <laughs> Suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> So today we actually are discussing Sturgill Simpson, as Mark mentioned, and I, for me, this is a relatively new discovery, even though the artist himself isn't, um, isn't a new kid on the block. He, he's been around for a while. Um, so I thought we'd start off by explaining how we discovered this artist and this album in particular. And, uh, Mark, we'll, we'll start off with you and, and kind of go down the line. Uh, sure. So... I follow, and Michael, I think, follows as well, this uh, this guy on YouTube called uh, The Needle Drop, and this man is insane. I don't know how to describe him. He's meme incarnate. He is concentrated <laughs> meme-age, and uh, he, but, but I, I'm misrepresenting him. He is, I think, the self-proclaimed internet's busiest music nerd, and uh, he <laughs> listens and reviews so many albums, like, I can't keep up with his output it's crazy the amount of stuff he listens to i i doubt he even has enough time in the day to listen to everything he's reviewing um i'm sure he finds the time but it's huh. pretty impressive um and i think as a part of a promotion or something like that a sponsor of some sort um there was this app um some sort of sort of social music app and uh he made an account there and was like um sharing a few um uh sort of iTunes snippets of songs on there. It was a way to kind of share iTunes snippets, more or less, you know, as a way to promote music and uh, share music with other people, I guess, like new music. I don't know where I heard of this record. Like, oh, it's a country album, but it's kind of weird. I just blatantly ignored it, truth be told. But then I saw this pop up on that thing, and, you know, I tap on it, and a preview of In Bloom, the cover, um, the instrumental break comes in. It was an insta purchase. Like I, I think it was ten seconds into that instrumental. I'm like, I'm buying this now. I'm buying this now. <laughs> I went into iTunes, purchased it immediately, <laughs> and listened to the whole thing because um, it, it was just wild how different this thing was. I'll get to it later, but that's how that's how I discovered this. That's interesting. You did like uh, the knee jerk, like just just purchase because i've been burned many times before on that it's fun to do because you're like we who knows what's gonna happen i'm just gonna purchase it but then i remember back to phoenix tmo never forget and uh a couple of others and it's just like once you get burned once it's like i'm you all of a sudden you just have the hesitance where it's like all right where can i listen to this for free first <laughs> like, we've we've all had those those impulse purchases without listening that we've regretted <laughs> Mumford and Sons. <laughs> you guys are ruthless. <laughs> uh, so, Michael, did you did you find it from, or did you like inherit it from Mark once he found it? 
Yeah, Mark usually when he uh, finds I stuff, bequeathed it. <laughs> yeah, he, he he blasts it off via iMessage in uh, a nice little like presentation format. I might add, always does the album art and little little snippet. <laughs> and I forget you, you said you sent um, both meta modern sounds and country music and a sailor's guide. I think you sent both. Yeah, I snagged both. I forgot about yep. that. So you sent both to me, and I forget I. <sighs> I I don't remember exactly which one I listened to first, but um, but yeah, so it was it was one of those that definitely um got put right on my desktop and then shot into my iTunes right away because I think Mark was like, you just you need to listen to this, um, so it it was just, it's standard how I discovered it. It was just through Mark um, via iMessage. And uh, real quick for the listeners, uh, Modern Modern Sounds and Country Music was the predecessor to A Sailor's Guide to Earth, um, uh, also by Sturgill Simpson. Uh, Amy, how did you discover uh, Sturgill Simpson? I'm assuming through us. But. Yeah, yeah. So I I went through. Um, so let me just preface this and say I went through kind of a phase um, in college, and then I'd say maybe two three years after I graduated from college, where I was all about country music. But I will say country music with a little caveat. Um, it was pop country so not merle haggard not you know like anything like that it was um you know the luke bryans the um dirk Bentleys, the you know just people who were more popular at the time and i really really liked it because it was at that point back in god 2010 it was kind of i I'm going to get flack for saying this, but it was kind of a a newer genre or like subsection of country music. So it wasn't as um, prevalent as it is today. It was kind of like if you liked country music, you were the anomaly. And now I feel like if you can't stand that kind of country music, you are an anomaly. So I was kind of one of those, you know, college girls that started listening to it, loving it. It was like playing in all the bars and um. Anyway, so that's what I had in my head as country music. And then um, (laughs) it's funny. Mark actually reminded me of this before the podcast. I have no memory of this, but apparently he played it for me. I have no memory of this place. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He played it for me while we were in the Smoky Mountains on our Sips trip, the third one. And, um, And I was like, oh, my gosh, what is this? This is awesome. Well, I mean, like I said, I have no memory of that and promptly forgot that listening experience. Um. And Mark and Michael had been talking about Sturgill Simpson for some time. So I actually went and, um, you know, bought it off iTunes and started listening. And um, the first time I listened, and this is many of my first listens, first active listens are in the car. You know, my husband and I do a ton of driving back and forth. And I put it on and um, was listening. And the first song just and we'll get into this, but it really does capture you. So I was really interested and it's really a fast listen. So when I discovered him, I actually listened to his album twice back to back. And wow, um, I know (laughs) because I felt like, wait, that's it. I I feel like I didn't chew it enough. I didn't digest it. And so I had to go back and and re-listen to it right away. Um, that's that's my discovery story. Apparently, I, I had discovered it, but forgot it <laughs> and then rediscovered it years later. But it was on the back of like a prior country music, pop country music addiction. And, you know, now several years later, I 
and uh if i can say you're not you're not wrong like pop country was sort of like a new phenomenon around that time if i recall like it wasn't i mean pop country really wasn't always a thing but it really became a thing in a big uh bad way though around that time <laughs> it um, did. and it was new at the time i mean no one was used to hearing like really poppy country music that wasn't something that happened right so if you think about country music like as a genre prior to that point it i mean most country music is sad it's it's a ballad it's about loss and how someone's feeling and and grief and <laughs> it's it's really depressing sometimes but at this turning point where it was like more poppy country all of a sudden the narrative switched from sad ballad to let's party so you, <laughs> you have people, heard about my truck yeah like i have money in my pocket baby shake your money maker for me you know like <laughs> let's go pop a cold one on the bed of my pickup truck you know that kind of stuff like it's not that that wasn't there before. It just became the focus, I, I feel like. So anyway, I I have since gotten totally just – it's kind of like when you have the same thing for dinner every night for a week. You don't want to look at it for a while. I listened to that pop country for like straight for a couple of years and now I like – I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's kind of sta- goes standard with pop music is that it's it's meant to be I think something that's easy easily uh digestible then like it hooks you but it, it usually doesn't have a whole lot of lasting power. Yeah, it's disposable. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but mm-hmm. at least at least for me, it's it's meant to hook you, grab you quick. Um and yeah, so I mean, I I I agree like I mean, we Heck, we grew up on Kenny Chesney's old stuff when he went through the huge um, kind of pop country phase. Exactly. Um, Kenny Chesney, in a strange way, was almost the one that kickstarted this whole thing, if I recall. Like, he, he was he was flirting with some of those, you know, poppy country tunes, like, as they were becoming big. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he regrets it a little bit now, <laughs> but um, he did. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, you have to think about think people like Tim McGraw as well. I mean, he's someone who's been around oh, country yeah. music for a really long time, but there was a distinct point in time, and I think this was actually 2006, I'm going to guess. He did um <laughs> uh, collaborated with Nelly <laughs> on a song which was just wild. Are you serious? Yes. I had no idea this existed. It's I think it's called Over and Over Again. And so you think you think about that this like icon of country music and he started collaborating with more, you know, like rap and pop artists. And that was just like what was happening at the time. Like that was the year I left for college. Um, and that was when it kind of kicked off for me at least, or my awareness of it. But yeah, I knew, I knew how I had turned a corner where I had just kind of not really paid attention to the fact that I had stopped listening to country like as a whole. Um, but we were on New Year's Eve, we were somewhere and the playlist was 100% country and it it was hard not to say something because i just was like oh my god i i was like not able to <laughs> it just like it it suddenly was very apparent how bad the music was <laughs> and and it wasn't that i like made this conscious choice to like not listen to it it just kind of like faded into the background of what i would choose and then whenever i'm somewhere where someone else is driving the music selection and it's 100% pop country. I'm just like, oh. <laughs> Amy, I'm listening I'm listening to over and over uh, right now. It's this song. Believe me, listener, you, 
you've heard of this song. You've heard it. I'm um, pulling this up right now. Wait, God, one second. Please hold it's on. This song? Oh my god. <laughs> Let me just tone down the hate of this podcast right now. I mean, <laughs> we're being a little snobby, but I'm trying to be honest too. Like this, this, go back and listen to the country song you listened to, you know, seven years ago. It's painful. It's really, really hard. And <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. When you outgrow something, it's hard to go back and um. Yeah, I think that that's yeah. like Cole pop plays country. that for me. Yeah, oh <laughs> it my is gosh. both that and my guilty pleasure still. <laughs> that's that's Tim McGraw. Yeah, I just Tim listened McGraw. to the first twenty seconds of that, and I cannot believe that was Tim McGraw. Yeah, yeah. I had literally no idea. <laughs> and now I'm like, gonna, I have to check my facts here, but I'm like relatively no, certain <laughs> it, it is Tim McGraw. It's I, Tim I McGraw. searched on the thing. It's like Tim McGraw and Nelly. <laughs> Oh my! I had no idea. That's amazing. How much like the 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 twang and um, Tim McGraw's voice or whatever. Like it's it's completely geared towards. Because I mean, it's Nelly featuring Tim McGraw, but it's completely geared towards more of I think Nelly's style. Yes, a little bit. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's something I find really interesting. Is that like country music? I think for the radio is like it's it's one of the most popular radio or like money producing radio stations in general for a genre i just find it really interesting because it's like it's such a popular music genre in terms of like sales in terms of all this other stuff um it gets infinite hate <laughs> and yet and everyone's like oh i hate country i can't stand i'm like i just find it really funny because it's like everyone i talk to is like it's just a blanket hate for the genre and yet it's like it's like the second most popular thing. I'm like, I haven't met so like one person who has like enthusiastic like in my friend group has enthusiastically been like, yes, country. Oh, you know, that's so funny, Michael, because that is completely reverse of my college experience where Oh my god. You're like, you don't like country? What? And the people who were kind of like into it and listening to it were like I don't know, like the early adopters i guess um and the there was hesitancy people who didn't listen to it were thinking of country of like i don't know johnny cash when the, when you when you're like do you listen to country music and they're like oh no it's boring they were thinking of kind of like the the traditional old guard um for country music that made country music great um and they're like no i don't listen to that because that's what they had in their mind but be like oh no you gotta listen to i don't know Luke Bryan. You gotta listen to Nelly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, all right, let's let's try to be positive thoughts. I'm gonna challenge you challenge you guys here because like okay, obviously it's successful for a reason, and it's you can't blame it on pe- that everyone in the world has poor taste. What about pop country music today makes it successful, or why do people listen to it? Easily digestible and easily disposable. I mean, uh, that's true for all pop, mu- well, good pop music. It's it's something that's, you know, you can throw on. Everyone's going to be like, oh, that's nice. And, and you know, and it'll go. And people will be like, yeah, that was that was nice. I liked that. Play it again. And, and you'll play it again, and then you're going to forget about it by, you know, the next couple hours. <laughs> it's kind of, I mean, it's great at that. I, I may give you a little pushback on that because isn't can't Beach Boys be cons- considered pop in the sense that, like, I think you can make 
pop music that is has lasting power and does have like good instrumental experimentation and has a lot of other stuff. So I don't think that goes I think there's a pop subset that's geared towards that. You know, I I kind of I feel like one of the reasons it's it is so successful and people love it so much is is actually um it's the the melody and the beat. And the melody is usually pretty simple or like the the bones of the song is usually pretty simple and it's something that you can like tap your foot to. And so it's got kind of like um and kind of what I was talking about where country music has shifted more towards a little bit more emphasizing the party than emphasizing the sad ballad. Um, you know, when you're at a party, that sort of stuff is energizing. <laughs> so I think that's part of it. And then I also think I was doing this bef- to prepare for this podcast. But if you go online and you – I can't remember what I typed in, but it was something like um, word cloud or most popular song- words in country music. And it's really interesting because you look at it and it graphically shows like how how many times certain words appear in like the top 100 country songs of of that week or whatever. And so, you know, you see words like, um, you know, like love and you see words like um, (laughs) truck and you see words like, you know, you see words that people like have such a strong allegiance to and identify so heavily with and as someone who normally pays attention to the lyrics I think sometimes that's why people gravitate towards that pop country is because and it's not it's simply because the words in the song are stick out at them and they 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 latch onto that and and that's that's what gives them that you know, this is familiar to me feeling. It goes deeper than that. Um, the melodies and chords and the vast, vast, vast majority of pop music is recycled. Like, believe yeah. me, you've heard the same, you've heard that tune before. You might not be able to tell me what songs it was, but I guarantee you it's like last year's hit used the same chord progression. Yes. And like maybe like even six months ago when this other song, this other hit had the same chord progression. And it's it's changed just enough that people most likely won't notice the correlation or notice like, hey, is this literally the same song? Like kind of rinsed in the wash and kind of you yes. know spruced up a little bit. But um, and again, not necessarily that that's a bad thing. It's I'm not saying that's a good thing, but it's just a thing because what makes music likable to most people is recognizability something that's easily yes yes, familiar thank you and you know if you're following the same progressions that you're used to the same sort of patterns that you're used to um it's comforting it's something you know you can kind of slip back into it like a pair of old smelly slippers and uh you know go about your day you know it's it's an old t-shirt yeah exactly and and that's just it i mean think about how you choose your friends I mean, if we're being honest, you gravitate towards the people who have the same interests as you, who have the same values as you. So it's the same concept. I mean, you gravitate towards the music that's familiar to you, that feels safe, that feels nice. Um, And so this is all to say, and the reason why I I wanted us to go down this path is like, I don't want this to be a hate on pop country podcast. (laughs) You know, there is merit and value to listening to that. Um, However it is also possible to outgrow that. And I think that Sturgill Simpson kind of ushered, you know, that outgrowth for a lot of people or people heard Sturgill Simpson. Mm. And it was just like, oh, 
Thank God you're here. Well, it didn't. It didn't. <laughs> it didn't go without recognition either. I mean, I think he won the Grammy for the best uh, country music album a year ago or something for a Sailor's Guide. So, I mean, the country music industry definitely recognized what he did, which is fantastic. Because I agree, he he. What I really enjoy about him is he took. You know, are saying it was all like there's all the kind of country is historically sad like everyone it's more ballads kind of like about struggles hardships like heartbreaks and from a personal lens and he i mean he pretty much took that like blues side of it and was like all right we're gonna take that from a topical influence and really push it heavily instrumentally and i think that's something that at least i haven't seen in country before and i think it really is paying off and I think other people are realizing it too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and we've talked about this before too. For someone to do that, to go so against the grain is a huge risk financially and, you know, with their reputation and all of this. So it's very brave what he did and and really admirable. Um, Yeah. Coming from metamodern sounds and country music, it's it's a night and day difference. Um, It's actually kind of impressive. You might not necessarily know it's the same person. I mean, his voice is distinguished and recognizable but everything else is not (laughs) good point let's talk more about that because his first album was that more did that help with the transition away from mainstream country with the what you said was metamodern sounds and country music well that's not his first right i i actually didn't listen to his first i didn't even know that he had a record before metamodern to be perfectly honest but i think Ah. michael did yeah Ah. so his first um lp so he he lists i think he released things within a year time span of each other i think it was high top mountain was 13 Meta Modern was 2014. I think Believe Sailor's Guide then was uh, 2015. 16. And, mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, 2016. So I mean, like the the time scale is relatively short here. I mean, it's it's within a, a like five years or so he released three albums, and um, and yeah, you're talking about like kind of the transition of like going from traditional to regular. I actually listened back as I, like, I just discovered this within like the past week or so that he had a first one because I thought Metamodern was the first one from what Mark sent me. But his first, yeah, his first LP is High Top Mountain. And honestly, listen to it because it is definitely a good homage to classic old country. I mean, it's, it's great, but what's fantastic is you really get hints of like, oh, like he... He wanted to kind of experiment here because you hear stuff that's like distinctly a sailor's guide and it's like it sticks out. I mean, I I would highly recommend listening to it. It's not a long album, but kind of back to what what I was mentioning before and what I really like what he does with sailors is that, I mean, this is a throwback to like it's it's kind of like typical country, especially in terms of like the lyrics and the the topics right i mean like he is like every song on here is is kind of well not every song but like a majority of them are about like the ballads about the self it's all centered around the self like the hardships the woes the heartbreaks i mean i I, like just to read off a few uh a few things like from railroad of sin i'm just a poor boy who had to beg steal and borrow just a leaf uh blowing lonesome in the wind kind of like what i'm getting at here it's like there's a lot of like bluesy kind of influence here in the lyrics and i mean water in the well sitting here without you life ain't fair and the world is mean i mean like all these songs from high top mountain have that classic country bluesy lyrical focus 
and you get a sense that like oh he's trying he's he's got a little bit of experimentation but it's still very distinctly like um kind of the twangy normal country that people think of when they think of country um so i would say that if for people who want to get into sturgill who still want something that's a little bit more easily accessible i would definitely say go high top mountain um and then because you get a little hints of a sailor's guide in there um but uh kind of what i find interesting and i think we'll get into this is kind of really the you get kind of the um difference in the instrumentals between a sailor's guide and high top but the shift in and evolution of Sturgill's focus too is just really cool to see how it's it's almost like a high top mountain is him looking back on himself and being self-reflective and having kind of like uh, reflecting kind of having these bluesy like uh like ballads that he recalls but then it's just the distinct focus when you listen to his first that followed by sailor's guide it's very distinct how his focus changes from the the self to the family love compassion i think that's something that's really interesting because it's like it shows the distinct difference uh, a, a child makes in someone's life i mean it completely changes the focus where it's no longer the self it's no longer about me it's it's the world centers around um your children because they're the love of your life and your your like your family right i mean because so I, I just thought that was really interesting seeing that kind of shift in focus from um like uh self to family yeah so that was the key event that happened in between those two albums right is that he he did have a son is yeah, that so he, is that correct I, think he, he, I don't know exactly when he I, I i don't know but he i think i remember reading on wikipedia or something like that he had a son um i think he has now two um but i believe his second was born somewhere probably within the meta modern um production stage so i think that was I think it was a little too late to have that have be heavy influence in Mad Modern, but A Sailor's Guide is definitely like a letter to his son and a letter to kind of the family in general. Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, if we go just by when the albums are, albums are released, I mean, you have to think about all of the work that went into that and when he actually wrote those songs. So it's very possible that he probably wrote the, um, you know, High Top Mountain songs or the... Um, modern sounds of country music songs before having kids even if the album was released you know when he did have a son or two um but that that shift maybe what he when he wrote sailor's guide to earth that came when he when he was a father um and those those ideas and those feelings you know are more you know they're, they're part of you and you write about what you know yeah so. yeah that's very true i mean he he has had kind of a a past of uh, a rough seas, I guess, if we're using the kind of metaphors uh, with Sturgill. I mean, from my understanding, he he was in the Navy, had problems from, with alcohol and all that. So, yeah, I can imagine if he was musically inclined even back then that a lot of these songs kind of were stuff that was in his back pocket. And when he finally had the opportunity to insert himself into the music industry, that's when they kind of came out in high top. Um so, I don't know, that's just something I really found was interesting when I re-listened to it. First was the shock of like, wow, this is, I'm not a huge fan of Modern Modern, um, but High Top for me, I was like, like now this is more when when I think Sturgill does classic country, this is what kind of was already in my head, and he does a fantastic job at it. 
I, I don't, I really, you keep saying a sailor's guide is very classic country. No, I, no, I, I wasn't saying, uh, if I said sailor's guide, that was a mistake. Uh, high top is what I'm saying. Is more oh, okay. The, I was about to say, like, country. I don't think that's true, but okay. No, yeah. If, if gotcha. I said, if I said before sailors was classic, I meant the other thing. It's early. I'm tired. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's what I'm kidding. I said, like, high top is a throwback to, back to that classic country, right? Um, and just how it, it seeing that juxtaposed with a sailor's guide, if you listen to high top, then directly followed by sailor's guide, it's really interesting seeing the instrumental shift and then, um, the shift in terms of the, the focus in, in terms of the topics he sings about. It's, it's just a really interesting seeing that evolution of Sturgill. So Mark, did you, did you listen to his previous albums at all? Uh, I listened to Meta Modern. I literally just now found out about High Top Mountain. Is that it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, uh, but I did listen to Meta Modern, and um, I, I agree with my- Michael. I think Meta Modern is nice. Um, it's kind of a little bit paint by the numbers country. I mean, he does a fantastic job of it. He does amazing job of it. But it's just very straight laced country music. Um, just you know, it's there and it's gone and it's kind of pleasant to listen to and it's, you know, it kind of floats by. I, I, I don't necessarily, like, I've tried actively listening a few times and it's just, I doesn't, it doesn't keep me in the same way that, like, other albums do. It's something you could throw on and, like, a party and uh, I don't think anybody would be the wiser. Um, it's, it's, it's nice, you know, somewhat traditional country music. Maybe not in the same way that High Top Mountain was, apparently, but um, I think it's close enough to the the rubric that it um that it can uh you know fit the bill there uh so i did listen to meta modern um but uh yeah the first one i guess not so much all right so um kind of transitioning more to focus on sailor's guide to earth uh what was your first impressions upon your first listen as you you were kind of as Mark does, pours himself a beer, actively listens, <laughs> forces himself to concentrate. <laughs> what was your first thoughts? I loved it. Um, and that's usually not something, I mean, uh, it's happened more frequently than not in recent times. But in general, um, I don't always necessarily love an album at first listen. I did for this one. It was an instant, instant love for me. Um, and that was due to a number of things. Um, one of which being that, like, from the get-go, it establishes that, like, this isn't going to be traditional country music. This is going to be kind of weird. This is going to be kind of a fusion of all different kinds of elements. Uh, hang on for the ride. Um, and I love that. It's a very quick, brisk, easy listen. And um, that didn't, you know, it was very easy to, I, to digest because of that, at least in my uh, opinion. Because, it's, I mean, the thing's only nine songs long. It's only 39 minutes long. And even you were just like, well, I could go again after the first <laughs> listen. So, um, you know, it's not like it's an hour and 15 where it's like at the end, it's like, okay, I'm going to need like a couple days to figure out what the hell I even just listened to. <laughs> yeah. um, with this, it's 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 very easy to, to digest. And that's actually per- not easy to pull off for something that is as dense and um, complicated, I think, musically as this is. Um, and, uh, I, I guess we'll get to that a little bit later, but, um, in terms of, uh, uh, presentation as well, that actually painted a lot of my first impressions as well. Like even just looking at the cover art for this album, I fell in love with it before I even heard the music, which I know sounds strange, but I mean, I, I have this picture here on my desktop. Let me, let me pull this up. I did, 
I, Amy, I, I know you said not to shit on uh, country music too much, <laughs> but uh, I had to do this because I was curious. So sure. I looked into the iTunes store and the country um, genre section, and I'm looking at like the new releases for albums, and the vast majority of these, I'm going to say like 80% to 90%, is the singer, maybe the band, um, maybe an Instagram filter or not. Um, it's up to the artist. Some typeface that says the band name and a typeface below uh, or um, uh, the same typeface, whatever. That's the name of the album. And then that, that that's what it is. It's, it's someone sitting in front of a white screen or like some scenic view, Instagram filter, name of the artist. And like, it's just a sea of this <laughs> again and again and again and again. There's just nothing here that's distinguishable at all it's just a sea of 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 white people <laughs> um <laughs> it's just yeah and but this this album art you look at it i would have never thought this was a country album if you had just shown me the album art like it's this lone ship in the middle of this wicked storm it, the waves are like Three times the height of the ship itself. It looks like it's about to crash down on it at any minute. There's these super thick storm clouds everywhere that's almost like bleeding into the ocean as well. It's just like this whole nature about to consume this one tiny ship being tossed around. And ah, that's just so cool. And then if you look closely as well, if you have a high-res version of the album uh, art, you see this like eldritch colossal monstrosity at the bottom of the ocean too like this thing looks creepy as hell yeah I, and i didn't even notice that the first time i looked at the album art um because i was looking at my phone and it was sunny out like i just saw like oh there's a ship and there's a storm that's really cool and i was looking at it later i'm like what the fuck it's kind of oh sci-fi it's kind of sci-fi yeah it's i know just weird. realized i i thought that was just like artistic flair but you're right that's like a Loch Ness monster (laughs) it's just like I loved that about that like where even the album art there's there's things to sit on and ruminate on and I loved that and as far as like expanding listening experience as well I very quickly picked up the LP for this as well so I'm going to include that in my first listen if I may um the materials included with this LP are crazy. The the LP was pressed, at least my uh, pressing, was like this rich ocean blue colored disc. And um, it's got uh, like the nautical wheel on, on the label as well. And it's really oh, cool. cool to see that spin. Um, and the centerfold of this album is this massive, beautifully painted like nautical style map this sea map and it's got all of these drawings of of references both to metamodern actually and to things said in uh sailor's guide so you have like the angels playing connect four some king cobras and a boxing <laughs> ring and all of this stuff and there's just a bunch of little things scattered throughout as well like um and a little tiny print at the very bottom of the the lyric line notes is this thing uh, this line Beware the dread pirate Johnny Blue Skies. I don't know what that means. I've searched <laughs> for it. No one knows what this means. It's probably an inside joke of some sort with Sturgill and like, you know, his band or his uh friends and family, but like I love little stuff like that. It's it's absolutely fantastic. Um so the whole thing is nautically themed and it's just the the entire package is very refined. Um crisply defined and uh presented and that's why it's like it's love at first listen it's just so meticulously handcrafted and uh there's no bloat it's just 
lean, green, and uh, absolutely amazing. <laughs> well, it's something very similar to this album and Sturgill Simpson's approach, um, very similar to Lord Huron, where he's removing himself from recognition. Um, it, it's it's not about him and his popularity. It's it's about the music. And so you look at this album cover, and it's his name, of course, but. He, he's not on it. He's trying to take you someplace, make you feel something. And that's exactly what Lord Huron does, as we discussed in our other episodes of our podcast. Um, so, yeah, it, it's like I think there was this um, um, interview he did with Rolling Stones where they were kind of trying to goad him, I think, into like being the poster boy of the savior from country music today. And... Um, and he, he just says, you know, get in where you fit in. If you don't like it, ignore it. So he's got a very, like, I'm just going to do my thing if people like it, great. And so that's it's a very humble approach, and that comes through with his album art and what he has chosen for the cover is it's not it's not all about him. It's about the story and what he's trying to tell. For me, my my first impressions on, on this album and, and listening, like I said, I – my first active listen to um, A Sailor's Guide to Earth was in the car. And we had like a, gosh, nine-hour car ride. And so I popped it in and um, I was listening. And I, at first listen, as you guys know, I, I tend to grab on to words and lyrics. And that's that's the first thing I notice. It actually takes me a while to, to recognize sounds and things like that or instruments and so when I first listened, I'm like, who is he talking to? Um, and I, I, knew, I know from you guys that, you know, artists now select the order of their songs in an album for a reason. So I was also trying to f- follow the story. I think part of me is also accustomed to that from, from Lord Huron is, is, that is that is a tale. That's a narrative. And so I was trying to kind of fit this album in that box initially. And that's why I had to listen to it again because it wasn't – it wasn't like a fictional story that I could piece together and figure out who the players were and things like that. It was, it was <clears throat> him speaking to someone, and it took me, you know, that second listen to realize he's talking. He's talking to his son, and um, I think the first clue for me and the first word that stuck out, and it's a couple of sprinkled a couple times throughout the album, is the the word polywog, and. Um, you guys remember when we grew up living in the Windings neighborhood and there was a swim team there and they, you know, had all these meets throughout the summer. And one of the, you know, the meets always started out with a polywog race. And it was all these like little munchkins with their swim, you know, um, floaties on and like with little kickboards and they got in and they they just had to go like half the pool. Um, but it was always called the polywog race. So it's all these little, little kiddos. And, um, so I was like, okay, I, I think, you know, he's addressing a polywog a couple of times in this album, which is, you know, quite literally a a tadpole. Um, so I think he's talking to his like little froggy son. (laughs) (laughs) Little froggy son. (laughs) Yeah. Sturgill gave birth to Kermit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I loved that because, you know, I, I'm pregnant with my first child, so a lot of those emotions and those things that he's saying in his songs, I'm just like, oh my gosh, yeah. Like, I have no real concept yet of what it 
is to be a parent. Um, but I'm, I'm getting there. And a lot of those things that you think about and you're like, God, what is, what is my legacy going to be? Like, how, how do I want my kid to know me? Um, what's our relationship going to be like? Um, how do I, how am I going to be a good example for him or her? You know, all, all those things just kind of go through your head. And yeah, this, this album really like struck a chord with me, you know, being where I am at my stage in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I would say on on first listen, I was kind of, uh, I'm with you, Amy. I'm, I, I, well, actually, not not for the lyrics. The I, I am op- actually a little bit opposite. When I first listen, it's like it's usually purely instrumental, and I usually have a really hard time get, have, going back to an album, giving it our shot if I listen to it. And instrumentally, it's just there's nothing there that's like grabbing me or or hooks me, and um. And that was completely not a problem with A Sailor's Guys. Immediately, I was like, whoa. I'm like, there's a lot here, a lot of variety, some really, really well-integrated um, like maritime sampling. Like we have in uh, Welcome to Earth Polywog, we have like a bell toll like on a, like a, a harbor. And then just like you hear the seagulls in the background. You just hear this like s- swelling electric hoo-ha i think is the best way to describe it that there is probably my favorite freaking instrument is the moog and a moog so a moog is a keyboard attached to a synthesizer so ludo was the group that introduced me to the moog and i'm going to pull a little like quote here from one of their videos i think it's hysterical um andrew volpe in one of their promotional videos said that there are five people who know how to play it. One of them invented it. Two of them are in rentals, and the other two are Japanese. Um, so <laughs> it's it's a completely kind of like out there, goofy instrument. I mean, like obviously, I think Andrew is a little bit he's stretching the, probably the truth. There's obviously more people who know how to play it, but like there's a lot of people that know how to play it. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, like he's 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 kind of joking a little bit, but I mean, it's definitely an instrument that's not a very popular instrument but it has such a distinct sound and ability to create like an atmosphere um like i think the best i mean the best usage in here is probably like i mean obviously you have like kind of this, the electric swells and uh welcome to earth your breakers roar um in bloom uses the moog uh, it's just like it's sprinkled throughout this entire album and like that's something that really jumped out to me because i'm like I love that because it really provides and like sets the scene almost and really allows like slower tunes to have a lot more depth to them and not be loud and in your face. Um, I mean, like other great examples of it are obviously Ludo's music. If people are interested, I mean, like you just listen to the first couple seconds of in space by Ludo. It's like, it's splashed with the moog and it's all this electric stuff that takes you immediately to kind of a a space pod with all the little lights and buttons and especially towards the end so i mean it's just like that that hooked me immediately was just that and also we have like this big jazzy band just huge (laughs) brass sections i'm like what i'm like i was wondering how long it was going to take us to bring up the dap kings (laughs) yeah it was oh my god it was it just there's so much there i mean you look at just welcome to earth polywalk we start with like the electric hoo-ha right start with that and also into like 
a slow piano ballad. Then it just all of a sudden breaks down into this huge jazzy. Yeah. It's like a 1970s funk band walked yeah. into the recording studio while he was recording and he was like, ah, oh, who cares? Come on in. <laughs> We're having a blast. And they're like, okay. And just started going into this other beat. And it, that's how it sounds like. It's just all of a sudden slaps the listener in the face like, you think you know how this is going? No, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. So I it's funny you say that because I was listening to this for now the umpteenth time. I was uh making dinner the other night and I really felt like risotto. Well, if you, when you make risotto, you have to constantly stir this rice. And so I'm like stirring it and the first song comes on in slow melodic piano and then and if sometimes you know it kicks in and I'm just like jamming stirring this risotto. <laughs> I was really glad no one was home. <laughs> it was just so fun to dance to. It was really, really get your energy up. And um, mm-hmm. I that was one of the first times I've ever seen such a, a shift like that within the same song. So you have that song over song a lot, you know, in different albums. But here it's just like just kidding let's let's dial it up (laughs) it's like you can hear the record scratch like yep that's me (laughs) i'm sure you're wondering how i got here (laughs) oh my god it's yeah yeah, for that reason i really like that song on this album so sorry to interrupt you michael i just had to tell you no no it's but i completely agree because like that first song like grabs you because it's like it completely subverts your entire expectations and i don't know it just it snagged me right away it was it's just it's just the range, <laughs> like the range that it covers is crazy. Um, but I don't know, Amy, I'm going to ask you. So like, what were some of the other um, big lyrics that kind of really stood out to you? Because I know like for me, like, welcome to Earth, Polywalk. I've been told you measure a man by how much he loves. Like that one really stands out in this song. And I think that really helps set the tone for the entire album is because how again i get back to that shift in focus is now the shift in focus is towards love like love for his son love for his wife compassion family um so at least that was one that really stood out to me but is there any like i'm curious what other ones like either in welcome to earth or some of the earlier earlier ones that stood out to you um well so the things that stood out to me are actually very simple um and i i find that that's really hard um you know to simplify or just distill what you're feeling into a, you know, using economy in your words. How, how little can you say to have the biggest impact possible? There's actually this quote, and I I think it's Woodrow Wilson, but I'm not sure. Um, But I think it's someone presidential who said it, and they were asking him, you know, how long it took to prepare for his speeches. And he said, it depends. If I am to speak for 10 minutes, I need a week of preparation. If 15 minutes, three days. If a half an hour, two days. If an hour, I'm ready now. So pe- people people can just totally talk and talk and talk and talk and try to say their point. But if you want to get it down to just like crystalline focus of what is the fewest words I can say for the maximum impact, I mean, that's songwriting, right? So the really great songwriters are the people that can do that and can take – an hour's worth of material and and bring it boil it down to three minutes. So 
one of the, the you asked about the lyrics. So the things that just really grabbed me um, were ones that talked about how men can have emotional complexity as well. You know, they can feel love and compassion and sadness and, you know, and grief and, you know, all of these emotions that sometimes are associated with women um, or or just being emotional in general is associated with women. Um, but this this whole album shows that, you know, like you can be a guy's guy and still feel all of these like complex emotions. You know, you don't always have to have bravado. You mean we can feel things? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. But it's 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 important. And it's something that like I don't think a lot of men feel acceptance if they feel or display. But there's no shame with Sturgill in this album when he writes things like from the Welcome to Earth Pollywog song. He says, you know, and if sometimes daddy has to go away, but please don't think that it means I don't love you. Oh, how I wish I could be here every day because when I'm gone, it makes me so sad and blue and holding you is the greatest love I've ever known. Oh, when I get home, it breaks my heart seeing how much you've grown all on your own. Oh, and so, I mean, if, if you didn't know who that came from, I bet you, you would guess a woman, um, you know, that, that type of emotion and just overt love of a child and able to, to express it in words and not trying to bury it, you know, and having to go provide for the family or do, you know, X, Y, and Z. I mean, that's, it's really important that we have those types of messages coming from men and, you know, and, you know, there's also, um, when I was talking about simplicity, um, another, you know, line that stuck out at me is from keep it between the lines. He said, most thoughts deserve about two or three more. You're like, huh? Yeah, that's true. And then he said, uh, don't let them try to upsell you. There's a reason that they make chocolate and vanilla too. Again, you know, like it's, it's a simple analogy, but it's very powerful. And again, he says, if there's any doubt, then there is no doubt. The gut don't never lie. And so I like that one too. So lines like that, the very simply, you know, either, you know, either fall into two camps, very simply explain an idea in minimal words, um, or just underscore this idea that men can have emotional complexity and display it. And it's, it's actually, you know, very sexy. <laughs> I, I I like that. I like those two things. So any lyric that fell into those two camps, I just really was um, drawn to. And to add to the Welcome to Earth Pollywog quote, uh, our line that's that uh, you read, um, there's also one that I really enjoy there that I, I just love sitting on. Um, Grandfather always said that God's a fisherman, and now I know the reason why. And oh, I I love that. And um, in many ways, the song just sort of, it, honestly, it reminds me of, you know, our dad a little bit. Like, you know, grandfather said to God's a fisherman. Well, well, you know, God's out there, you know, theoretically um, working hard to provide for us all, uh, doing whatever gods do. Um, <laughs> but it's 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 nice. Like, I, I would wish to be there every day and see you grow. And I can't, like, because I need to provide for the family. Like, I need to do what I you know, someone's got to put a roof over our heads, but that means it's at the expense of being able to like, you know, see these critical times when you grow. And, um, that's the endness there. And I, I know that our dad made such an effort 
um, always to like go and see all of my plays every time. And Amy, all of your diving meets or as money as he could anyway. And um, Michael, um, going and seeing like a bunch of your swim uh, swim meets. In fact, I think he saw most of them. Um, you know, I think he's still you know was sad that he couldn't be there for everything. But you know, he always he always made the effort. And listening to this song, it does. You know, that my thoughts always kind of glide to that, actually, more than anything like, you know, that, you know, dad was always that fisherman out out at out at sea, catching fish, saving lives (laughs) as as fishermen ER people do. Um, Right. um, Yeah, it's just it's a very sweet song uh, because of that personal connection for me, I suppose. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. I think. um you know, we, t- we talked about the total U-turn that's made in the course of that song, you know, what lyrics speak to us. But, like, Mark, I, w- I wanted to ask you, because, again, this is my my weak point, like, musically, what is going on here? Because um, the 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 brass – okay, I can I can tell you I can identify the brass. <laughs> so is that that Dap Kings that you were talking that's about? That's the Dap Kings. Okay. Uh, so for this album – we have Sturgill Simpson and like the band. I'm assuming the same people, more or less, that did like Meta Modern. You know, you have the essential country components. I would say you got your steel guitar, you got your you got your regular guitar, maybe a twelve string. Um, you got your singer, you got some sort of drummage, and uh, you got uh, you got your bass. And it's like, yeah, you got all the essential ingredients. You are set to make a country song, and he has he has those components there. But what what I love is these added in this literal 1970s style funky brass section and is like, Hmm, how can I make this work? It's, it's, it's the strangest thing on paper. This never should have worked in (laughs) any reality. And it does. It's the strangest thing, how this funky brass section can somehow mesh with these traditional country instruments and work and work well um i guess the best analogy i can use is maybe in food you have like sweet and sour foods sometimes that just sound or uh salty and sweet foods that when you are told about them they sound just astronomically ridiculous like um i've never had this but i've heard of chocolate covered bacon and like (laughs) the first instinct is like but why though (laughs) why um but you know if you think about it for a, a little bit like you know based on past food experiences you're like oh but bacon is really really salty and you know sea salt caramel and all those pair really well with sweet chocolate so maybe that could work and 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 it does and i i think that's what's going on here you got these components that really shouldn't work or you wouldn't think they would but when they're paired together you're like oh (laughs) that's how it can happen Mm -hmm. i love the way he does it too he doesn't ease into oh and there's also a funky brass section he's like (laughs) and now bring in the funk and they come in (laughs) time to um, get funky 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 (laughs) yeah and Uh, and I love that they appear very frequently throughout the album as well, and do different styles as well. They're not always doing like super dancey beats. They do soul as well mm-hmm. uh, with a few of the songs, and it's just um, it it adds a whole new flavor to this sort of country fusion thing that we're having here. Like I don't even know if I could label this as country music at this point because it's just so strange this amalgamation that's been made here but it works and it's good very cool and then they're also michael mentioned the sampling like there's a lot of did you notice i I don't know how he does this maybe you know instrumentally how but there's a lot of like 
parts in, you know, and this is subsequent lessons. So something I picked up way later than I should have like, Oh, that music makes it sound like waves. (laughs) And like, it sounds like the swelling of the ocean. And he does a lot of what we love Lord Huron does is he sonically paints these, these landscapes that are almost 100% nautical. Um, Oh yeah. Breaker's Roar does that. I yeah. think best of all of them, like that lullaby, the beginning with the strings. Is that is that what it is? To me, it just was – I was like, I know this sounds like a wave, but I have no idea what's <laughs> making that sound. <laughs> See, like what I love about Breaker's Roar is you have all these strings, um, which I mean some country songs have. Um, I, I think so. Um, I feel I've heard country songs as strings. Um but then he adds the steel guitar on top, like this just crying steel guitar over these swelling violins and strings. And it's just, it's absolutely beautiful and peaceful. And I feel like I'm on, I'm on the shoreline and the sun's just about to rise and it's a little bit cold, but it's quiet and peaceful and I'm one with nature and uh, it's just absolutely wonderful. I just love to, like, again, because I, I listened to High Top right close to it. It's just, again, how he, his focus is all, like, on his heartbreak. And I love how it's now geared towards his son, how you just see it. You listen to his songs in High Top, and it's like him, like, kind of the woe is me. I, I had a heartbreak or whatever. But then, like, just see, hearing him then drop this, like, stanza here, like, oh, heartaches can kill from the inside so it seems oh i'm telling you it's all a dream it's all a dream i don't know i just thought that was really kind of a a great message that he threw in there um i just love how we go from that it it kind of kind of the pacing this album is just really interesting we go from this big brass and all of a sudden it's just like really bringing it way back down low of breaker's roar and it's it's done well to do that kind of big shift um but yeah, I don't know. It's, it, this one's uh, up there. It's one of my favorites on the, the album for sure. So any others? I mean, we we talked a lot about the opener on the album, which is Welcome to Earth, Polywog, and, you know, the total U-turn sonically in the middle with the brass and the strings. It, that goes into Breaker's Roar, which is this lullaby that we're talking about with the waves kind of just – it makes you feel like you're on this swaying vessel out at sea. Um and there's there's a lot more, and we we could go song by song, but I thought it would be a more fun exercise to just pick out, you know, from from the middle of the album, what songs do you grab onto? What are your favorites? What do you keep coming back to? I'll actually start with Mark. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of fun moments. Um, I definitely have um, one favorite in the middle here, but uh, a few things that stick out to me is. Don't sweat the small stuff. (laughs) I love at the end of Keep It Between the Lines, you have just like this group of ladies like, don't sweat the small stuff. You know what that reminded me of is, do you remember the movie, the the animated Disney movie Hercules? How like the women (gasps) were on the vase and they're like singing like, um, he don't know his strength. (laughs) (laughs) He leaves. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is. Very much like that. Oh my yeah. god! And and, and <laughs> got that sweet, sexy sax in that song too. I I do appreciate that. And going back to what Michael was saying, pacing. It's like lullabies over, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. 
so i just thought it was funny because like the 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 first note that i jotted down when i listened to it like this more actively I'm like this is the drug talk done the right way <laughs> <laughs> It's it, I'm like if, if Sturgill's gonna sit down and be like, "Hey, just like don't do stupid crap," like I mean, he could just play those songs. It's catchy. It's it's awesome. Um, no, no, I thought it was interesting. It's it was a kind of a fun one to to see, and I like this line: uh, "Do as I say, don't do as I've done." It don't have to be like father, like like his son. So. So kind of alluding back to kind of the troubles he has had in the past. And and I noticed that, like, it's addressed to an older son. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, you notice, like, Welcome to Earth, Pollywog, it's – it's he's speaking to a little baby in, in my mind. And then Breaker's Roar, he's – it's like Mark said, it's a lullaby. He's got, like, a maybe a toddler or, you know, a year-old kid. Um, but keep it between the lines. I mean, that is that is spoken to a much more mature child, um, telling people that you know to listen to your gut. I mean, you're not going to tell a toddler that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, it's 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 advice towards a more mature kiddo. And so yeah, I, I kind of noticed that thematically, you know, as we progress through the album, it's he's speaking to an older and older child. No, that's that's really interesting you mentioned that because I mean you're right. I mean we have Welcome to Earth Polywog, which is the kid, and then like probably keep between lines is like when you're starting to become a teenager. Sea stories is where he's old enough where Sturgill can really say like, oh, so here's what's here's kind of like my past. Like here's what I've tr- had trouble with, like alcohol in the Navy. Then like then we have In Bloom where Sturgill really it's a cover of Nirvana's uh, original and Sturgill really kind of tweaks the lyrics here where he puts emphasis on what's kind of implied in Nirvana's song, as he says, um, don't know what it means to love someone. And I think that's kind of a great, like, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it, because like, now I'm kind of looking at my notes, I'm like, yeah, it is kind of a progression, where now the kid is in bloom, the kid is kind of like getting past those teenage years, or is in the thick of those teenage years. And Sturgill pretty much saying, like, yeah, like oh you might think you're cool but the important thing is love do you know how actually to love someone it's all about the self in those years right you're a teenager you're pretty much going to school sapping up resources doing your teenager thing it's it's all in your world it's all like how how is it me how is it me how is it me and i mean uh, no no fault on teenagers but i mean that's kind of the time for that but i i kind of like how sturgill is like kind of sends that message and puts emphasis and twist on Nirvana's original lyrics says but don't know what it means to love someone. Whereas Nirvana just leaves it as don't know what it means. Which I love, actually, because apparently... Because I was ruminating on that, like, oh, what does this mean then? Why did he change that line, that one <laughs> line? And he just totally misheard the lyrics. He's like, oh, they don't they don't, don't end that line with Are you serious? Someone? Oh, okay. <laughs> like, oh, apparently, well, like, a heartfelt apology to, I guess, the estate of Kurt Cobain is like, I... <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to screw this. Or you didn't screw it up, but I didn't mean to to misrepresent the song, I guess. Um, but I do appreciate the addition there. This this cover, which, uh, by the way, never should have worked um, in any reality. <laughs> a fucking country song cover of Nirvana? Like, it's great. Because, oh okay, that, that album came out when I was like four years old. It was like early 90s, 90 or 91. Um, 
And so, like, I I was kind of on the tail end of their Nirvana craze. Like, I wasn't in my teenage angst when they were really popular. Oh, you um, weren't in teenage angst when you were four years old? <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I actually, like, I know the song just because, you know, it was – it still was playing on the radio and stuff like that, but it, it wasn't as, like, iconic for me as maybe someone who was, you know, a little older than me. But, yeah, I mean, you're right. That that song is, is a heavy rock song. I mean, that is alternative metal. <laughs> it kind of, like, sounds like the – I don't know. I listened to original. It's just, like, the lyrics are kind of grungy. I don't know if I'm describing that right, but, like, it's very, like, gravelly and, like, rough delivery, and I'm like – it, I love Sturgill's cover because the original does nothing for me. Like, I, I think the the reason this is a cover done right is I think this is one of the st- rare instances where a cover does it better and does it, in my opinion, the right way. Well, um, but I'm going to challenge I, I will, you there. Oh, man. I, I, all of our listeners are going to be so upset. No, with I'm going <laughs> to oh, challenge you there because it, the point – the the recipient of the song is different in each in each case like the the nirvana original i mean people listened to that when they were 13 i mean what's going through your mind when you're 13 you're trying to find your place in the world you're like you're searching for something you don't know where you fit in it's like all this all these things that you're feeling for the first time and so yeah like you want like a gravelly totally rocking song that's gonna take you away you know and make you feel something that you can't identify yet i guess what i'm getting at then about like what i don't like particularly like about the original is just to me when i hear that i hear a standard rock song that is just kind of blends into a whole whole bunch of others and that's why I like Sturgill's because it's it's very much to his kind of style that's new that's trying things different. I don't know. I, I, it just it, in my opinion, when I listen to two side by side, it, if in my head it's no competition. But that's just a personal opinion. I know. <laughs> no, you know I agree with you. If I had if I put them side by side and I had to pick, I do like Sturgill's better. Um, but I think the original. I mean, I. I also grew up listening to that kind of music too. Like that, that style was definitely very nineties. And so that, that kind of alternative grunge metal was really big. Um, and I, I don't mind it. So <laughs> I, I like the original a lot. Um, and if it was on the radio, I wouldn't change a station. I mean, I, I'm not really a fan of that type of music, like the Nirvana music. Like I appreciate it, but it's just, it's just not my scene. I, I do like, the audience for this version a little bit better than the original. Whereas as you, as you mentioned, actually, like it's, it's different, it's different people. Like the original was uh, Nirvana going like guys or Kurt more or less like guys um, stop listening to our songs just because you like our songs and then just blatantly ignoring the things we're trying to tell you like, Oh no, but I'm going to, I like this song. I like singing along. Let's go shoot my gun. (laughs) Whereas this one, um, just adding that one line doesn't know what it means to love someone. That's interesting because then that changes that gun line a little bit, and I can't help but look at that and go, "This is I'm getting some like happiness is a warm gun vibes now from from uh from uh that lyric, and uh, that does definitely change the message of the song where it's like just don't go sleeping around, you know, learn what it means to love someone." Whereas the original song was, uh, you don't know what the songs we are singing means, yet you're singing along. Like, what's wrong with you? Listen to the song. You don't know what it means. So I do 
side with Michael that I, I think I personally prefer the um, more melodic um, cover. So, you know, that, that song is the end of the first side of the album. So it's four songs on the flip side. I mean, if you had, if you had to pick, you know, what's, what's your favorite on the second, the second half? Um, I would say, oh, that's, that's tough. I would say easily all around you for the second half is my favorite, probably on the whole album. Cause it gets back into kind of the, the, they bring back in the, the big grand, um, brass sections from, uh, Polywog and it's distinctly just grand and soulful and, we also have the Moog transitioning us right into the song, so it's good transition work. And again, I just like the message of this one. It's just like Sturgill again kind of consoling his son, like there's going to be hardships, but always look for the love around you. Like it's present in the love in your family, uh, like present in God. And it's like, you, and he's like using the message of like, use this like, oh, the pain, look for the love and it'll show you the way. Like I just love kind of the, the message of this song and I love the delivery. It's grand. It's big. Um, I don't know. It just, it really clicks for me. And I, I don't know if I can really distinctly put why aside from those two things, but um, I don't know. Yeah. This one's definitely my, my favorite. You know, all around you does have that big band sound, which I really like. Um, it, it's a tie for me. It's either brace for impact or all around you. And I like brace for impact just because that, that is the most rock song on the entire album, in my mind. I and so I really, really liked just the, um, you know, it was easy listening. I like I like that rock music, and that was um, that was more Nirvana than Nirvana's cover. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I like Brace for Impact, Live a Little, or All Around You. Brace for Impact also is. Interesting because, um, and Mark, I think you and I have similar thoughts on this. Um, he's trying to like teach his son to think a little bit with this. Um, and you know, he's trying to, you know, whereas keep it between the lines, he's literally just telling his kid, like, do this, do this, do this. But Brace for Impact is a little deeper, um, in trying to convey the message that you know, you should have a mind your own and think for yourself question things you need to ask why to circle back so th- i mentioned the needle drop earlier before and uh he has a whole review on this uh record he made a point that i really really disagree with he's like oh it's not without its mixed messages this album because he's telling him like oh keep it between the lines but also like live a little like what does that mean and i i think he didn't pick up on what Sturgill was you know, trying to present here, which I think he does pull off well, where it's, he's, yeah, you're exactly right. He's trying to teach his son to think. You need to know when to keep it between the lines, like to, to keep your head on straight, but you also need to know when to live a little, like you can't just live your life. You can't just live one or the other. You need a yin yang balance between these two. And I can't tell you every single case when to do this, but I can give you a little bit of my story. I can give you a little bit of just hard, like, please just keep off the hard stuff, you know, <laughs> for, um, keep between the lines. And, um, uh, Brains for Impact is just like, you know, you gotta learn to live a little, cause, like, I'm falling apart already. Like, look at me. <laughs> like, you gotta, you gotta live life while you're young. Um, so it, it is very much trying to give his son nuance, not just a set of rules. Um, and that's very hard to do. Well, sure. And I think, you know, the way I perceived it is that, um, you know, you have this, 
this cadre and this this order. So he set up these boundaries, but within the boundaries, he's saying, live a little. Like he's setting up the boundaries with keep it between the lines, like literally drawing a box and saying, like, if I were you, I probably wouldn't go outside of this. But live a little is like you can just have so much freedom within those boundaries. You you need to. You can't have, like you said, a if this then that approach to life. You just have a these are my moral like morality boundaries, but I'm gonna I'm gonna float within them, you know, and live my life and you know not regret when it's over that I didn't do anything because I was afraid. Um, yeah, so I, I I really like Brace for Impact, and then all around you, I just I don't know. I maybe I'm just like total sap, but I like would dance to myself in my house a bit, like dance just to that song. I like it a lot. It's a great it's a great song. The piano going in the background, just slamming down as the Dap Kings are going over with the just really good soul. It's just oh, it's. It's good stuff. And I love the heartbeat drum at the end, too. Yeah. Like, everything fades away, and you just hear the... Of a um, <laughs> drum beat, which leads its way to Oh, Sarah, which I I really do love. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I agree with Mark. Do you really? Okay, so sell it to me, because that that song, to me, is like my discarded song i'm just i'm more <gasps> yes i'm more what? likely to click next i'm so embarrassed so oh, like neat. help help <sighs> me figure it out <laughs> so i don't know what re- i agree with you slightly because like when i first listened to this album i agree it was like oh now for the slow one because like call to arms is so exciting it's this big thing it's very easy to see how oh sarah gets in the way if you really like the the big loud things but i don't know for me it's Probably one of the most sincere love songs that I've I've heard. You get a sense that that Sturgill means everything he says, and you get a sense of kind of like the struggle Sturgill has with being caught up in the craziness of the world. And I love the lyrics in this one, and the lyrics are what make it just a great follow up to all around you and also that you got this masterful transition a heartbeat then all of a sudden transitions into drums and then a big heavy bass to lead us into osera and it's just it's a great transition i don't know compared to other love songs it's just the love songs it's like imagine that a country love song that doesn't mention the body of the other person huh like <laughs> so it's just it's really just a breath of fresh air in terms of um a, a song's dedicated to a lover and i don't know it just i think it's very very well done yeah what are some of the lyrics that that you think just are so true well i just i i love the kind of the, the candidness of it right like the, so like forgive me if sometimes i feel a little seem a little crazy but goddamn sometimes crazy is how i feel and my brain is starting to swirl down the drain of this whole world and there's only one thing girl i know is real it's love in your arms blah 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 blah, blah. it's just like that whole like those two stanzas there or those two like paragraphs right those i think are that's the the meat and potatoes of the song right i mean that's like he could just say that and that's the song for me like i'm like yes that's that's what he's trying to get across is that like it's crazy like i'm being i need to be away from home traveling a bunch because that's my business to provide with the family 
and I got the elephant in the room of my past. Like I've had struggles with the Navy and all that. And I have struggles with my own personal like alcohol problems. So it's like, I, I just view that as a perfect, like the whole album has been shifted towards the sun, but I love how this is just a direct address to his wife also. Cause it's like, a, it's not just a son and father. It's the family. That's kind of the unit. Right. And I love how he acknowledges that because his whole whole album is very much alludes that it's family centric, but you gotta have kind of the um, the whole unit. Yeah, you, know, you can't just um, can't just have one without the other. As Michael said, this is the first time in the album we are actually addressing his wife, or he is rather. Um, throughout the entire record, you could kind of imagine that he's, uh, as you mentioned, talking to different eras of his son, like your toddler, your um, your uh, a kid, your a teenager, your uh, grown man, um, that sort of things. But now, then he turns and addresses his wife, I think for the only time on the record as well. And, and it's a brooding, soft-spoken song. And um, I think what makes this work and is so interesting to me is that it's not just, it's not really a love song, or at least not entirely. It's half love song and half an apology song, half an, uh, like a mm. apology letter. Yeah. Um, there's a, there, it, it's, it's both aspects there, as Michael said. He was Michael quoted a, a few lines from the song. That's the love letter aspects of it, where it's like, "Girl, there's one thing I know that's real." After after everything you were saying prior, and then just you know goes into the more of the love traditional love song lyrics. Um, but in the beginning, it's just a lot of like, "I know I'm I know I'm crazy a little bit. I know like I have difficulties opening up to you." And and what makes it so sad to me is that there's almost like the implication there that he never will be able to quite open up in the way that she, you know, seems to want. It seems like she's needing that um, feedback from him. And he's, he's, this is just a long apology of like, everything that's gone in my life, I can't really do it. I can't. But, but there's one thing that I do know that is real for sure. And it's the love I feel when it's in your arms and it's the tender in your eyes that can be warm and safe at night. And, it's it's both aspects there, the apology and the love aspects that really make this song work against this kind of just soft-spoken, brooding instrumental in the back. And um, it's a good break song. Like, it gives us a little bit of a reprieve from all of the heavy instrumentals of the entire record up to this point, and also before Call to Arms, which is insane. Um, but I definitely understand, Amy, if this is not, like, a favorite of yours and if you even skip it, because it is, it's very, you know, it's pretty stripped back, it's pretty low-key, um, and it is it is a little bit, it, it's sort of the odd one out, I guess, on the entire record, because there's nothing else that sounds qu- quite like this one on it. Yeah, you know, I and, and, and it's surprising to me, because I'm normally the one who gravitates towards the lyrics first, but I think it's... I think the reason why I'm so quick to kind of discard it is because I, this is not how I would write a love song. It's, you know, this is not how I experience love. Um, And so for me, it's unfamiliar. And for that reason, I'm just like, meh. (laughs) Like I, I, I can, I can, you know, appreciate it. And it's like, I don't, I'm not saying that this is what love is not. Um, I'm just saying that, it just doesn't grab me, and I'm, you know, not my favorite. So <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, 
so yeah, I I mean now we're we're at the close of the album. Well, uh, before before we get to there, I really do want to circle back to Sea Stories real quick, if that's okay, because uh, I actually have a, quite a bit to say on this one. Sure, sure, sure. Sea Stories. First of all, ding ding. Uh, love that beginning. Um, but <laughs> so what makes this song interesting, and honestly, this is one of my favorite songs on the first half because it turns what we expect of country music uh, on its head. Literally, find me a country song um, that is not just soldiers in America are great, rah, 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 rah. I mean, I'm sure there's a few out there, but in general, that is the exception to the rule. The rule is country music is America is great and soldiers are great and their military is great and we can do no wrong. And that's the majority of country music that I've heard, or at least on the radio. Uh, So after decades of hearing that same perspective on that topic, just America's great, soldiers are great, America's great, soldiers are great, it's... So nice and refreshing in this genre to hear a different perspective on this. And it, and it's generally one of bitterness <laughs> and a little bit of regret. Although I will say that it is, along with other things on this record, it, there is a nuanced view here. I do think there's a little bit of fondness there as well. Uh, it, there is a bitterness. There is kind of a regret but there is a fondness there as well. It's it's kind of complicated. There's a lot of emotions that are going on here, which is how all things in life are. Things are kind of complicated, and there's multiple ways we feel about things usually. So it really was nice to, to hear um, a different perspective on there. And exa- again, not necessarily just bashing America or anything, but it's not like a rah, rah, rah. It's like another egg for Uncle Sam's beater. Like, ooh, okay. Um, keep your mouth shut and you'll be fine. Um and there's a few uh, lyrical things in the song that stand out to me and really define A Sailor's Guide as a new take on country, like a something that's not been done before, at least that I've known. And all country music up to this point that I've heard has been very much our parents' generation country music. And that's not a bad thing, but it's like a lot of nostalgia around cars or trucks or country life and things, obviously. Things that not necessarily any of us identify with or are nostalgic about in any sort of way. I cannot name for you a friend of mine that's nostalgic about trucks at all. In fact, most of my friends don't own cars. They literally don't give a shit. But here, it's this, we got this great call out, like, maybe get high, play a little golden eye on that old 64. The Nintendo 64 is called out in a country song. Like, that's amazing. I'm sitting here like, that's us! That's us! He's talking about us! Like, we, we grew up on the N64, and I, I played golden eye as a kid over at friends' houses and things, and it's like, it's finally, country music actually for our generation. Wow, it's mm-hmm. amazing. Uh, hearing a country song being nostalgic about something actually from my youth is fantastic. Because if I hear another country song about trucks, I'm going to puke. Um, <laughs> so that's amazing. And then there's a few also really nice things near the end uh, that I appreciate. Uh, the futon life raft on the floor. I do like that. Um, you know, spend next year trying to score from a futon life raft on the floor and the next 15 trying to figure out what the hell you did that for. Um, <laughs> and that does, again, bringing it back to our dad, He's he always said this line, I'm probably going to flub it up a little bit, which sounds like a great idea when you're 21, sucks when you're 41. And <laughs> yep. uh, I do kind of get that vibe from the futon life raft uh, lines. Um, but yeah, no, just a a great song overall. I always enjoy it. I always look forward to it and um bringing a fresh air, fresh perspective to country music and uh 
it's sort of like the cornerstone of this album for me, honestly, because of that. Well, you know, it's interesting because it's not it's not anti-American and it's not anti-military. It's literally no. just saying that like serving in our military is not always so black and white and fighting in a war is not always so black and white. Like there are stories we could tell you. So that's that's the takeaway I got from Sea Stories, um, which to me just was a lot more believable and true than, you know, Toby Keith's Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue, which talks about just Americans going over and kicking other people's butts, um, <laughs> which, you know, has a time and a place, but that can't be the only narrative. Yeah, that's a really interesting point you make, Mark. I, I didn't really think of that ever before. And actually, you didn't even notice the... The Golden Eye line. Oh, it's my favorite line in that song. <laughs> I didn't even notice it, so I'm really, I'm really happy you pointed that out. That's that's pretty funny. I think he's speaking to an even older person than in Keep It Between the Lines. I think Sea, sea Stories. Um, you know, I I don't know if you guys felt this, but I felt this at some point in my 20s, where um, you know, Dad and Mom kind of shifted towards. You know, they weren't disciplinarians anymore. They were more of a guiding force and and more of a friend. But that was not that was not the case in our childhood. Like it was oh, no. very very clear that we were not in charge, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, it, they were the disciplinarians. And, and you know, we grew up with a pretty strict household. But you know, there there is a shift where all of a sudden Dad's telling us stories. You know, and and Mom is telling us stories about you know how they met. Like we never you would. <laughs> I don't know, or think trouble dad got into with, you know, <laughs> Mr. G or, you yeah. know, like the things like that where those kind of anecdotes come out. So when you start talking to an older kid, and so that's why I kind of think that, um, you know, I don't know if it's it's linear that every song speaks to an older and older kid. I, I don't know if that's it, but I think that every song is speaking to a kid at a different stage in his life. Um, and this, I think, is kind of in as the kids approach adulthood all right all right call to arms <laughs> it's call time. to arms i'm gonna let you guys just take the reins on this one <laughs> i mean it's absolutely bombastic it's crazy it's all out it's guns blazing it's not father john misty levels of cynicism but it's like sturgill just being like bullshit's gotta go just big explosive instrumental yeah it's it's just like mark saying bombastic and and just fun it's just a very, very fun way to close out an album. Mm-hmm. And what I love that I love that we talked about sea stories before this, actually, because sea stories, as I mentioned before, it is a very nuanced view. There is a fondness there, and I will stand by there. There is a bit of bitterness and cynicism, but you know, it's a nuanced view. Call to arms. It's like you know what? I understand it. You can chew and spit me out from my mistakes, but don't you dare do that to my son. And son, don't you fall for this (laughs) he doesn't have any reservations now there's no filters and in fact i wouldn't even say there's any nuance here it's just straight up you know what no i'm taking off the gloves here oh it's just it's absolutely brutal and and you do get that sense where it's like you know he kind of accepted his choices in his life and you know whether or not they were mistakes or not but it's just the fact that like now it's like he can feel this force potentially is gonna affect his son like that just sets him off and i love <laughs> that about it um just uh oh son i hope you don't grow up believing you gotta be a puppet in order to be a man and oh that's just that's great it's absolutely great that's a really interesting observation of how sea stories compares to this i mean you're you're absolutely right it's like it's like when the focus is on him 
it's more sea stories where I like you're saying more nuance but the minute the focus turns to his son it's like gloves come off it, it's it's kind of cool to see that I'm glad you pointed that out yeah, and everything in the kitchen sink is thrown into this too it is dizzying the amount of instruments and solos and just I get up and dance every time the song comes up it's just wild and you appreciate as well it's not just about the military and uh you know signing up and all that there's also an aspect about tech obsession all too busy all too busy looking looking down down at our our phone phone. (laughs) yeah i appreciate that he mentions drones because i mean that is an aspect of modern warfare that is uh a huge problem and no one fucking cares about it (laughs) and i do appreciate the our egos begging for food like a dog from our feed uh refreshing obsessively until our eyes start to bleed serving up distractions and we eat them with fries until the bombs fall out of our fucking skies it's so good (laughs) god i just want to listen to the song right now it's oh it is so much fun it really is. And after a, an album that is more or less pretty refined, pretty subdued, Keep It Between the Lines does get a little bit funky, but in general, you have a sense that the album's on the tracks. And then this song comes, it's just like, nope, tracks are gone. In fact, we're going off a cliff. Blah! Every, everything's, everything's going crazy. <laughs> the ending lines here, I love as well. Like, turn off the TV, turn off the news. You know what? It's nothing to see. They're, they're serving up the blues. Just, no. Nah. For right or for wrong, I, I have been sort of uh, implementing this, not because of this record, but it's just, um, you know, similar viewpoints, I suppose, um, where I don't watch any of the major news outlets at all. Things I need to hear, I hear through friends or just, you know, ambiently around me. I see it now that I'm kind of on the outside of the, all these various bubbles like the fox news bubble the reddit bubble the hacker news bubble everyone's in their own little bubbles when you separate yourself from the various echo chambers and you see just how everyone just gets so angry and worked up and it like it's a self-feeding system hand picks certain networks or certain news outlets that feed them the information they want to hear the networks that are feeding this information are incentivized to really cater to those demographics because then they're going to get more angry and continue refreshing those feeds and seeing more things so they can get more angry about them and share them with all their angry friends it just kind of grows and grows and grows this 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 anger and this uh isolation and um it's just gotten so bad in the internet age, and I, I really do appreciate that he- hearing somebody else in uh, music just going like, you know what? This is all just fucking bullshit. It's bullshit. <laughs> They're telling me how to feel, like, get angry at this, get angry, get, get angry at this. Aren't you sad about this? You know what? Bullshit's gotta go. I'm gonna feel how I feel. I'm gonna do what I do. I also love the little, like, um... What is the the uh, instrument or thing they have like that just tails it off? It's like the same uh, maritime kind of like bagpipes. Yes, yeah, so something. I don't know what it is, but it's the same thing that opens Call to Arms, and I love how that just kind of trails us off. I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this is a, a fitting song to have towards the end because it it's one that kind of leaves you thinking a little bit and kind of challenges um some stuff so i i agree mark i i'd like with the um simplifying the information low that you let into your life i think really can can help and i i I think that um that i agree with kind of it's kind of refreshing to see um a country artist kind of say a lot of the things that sturgill is saying it's it's different it's challenging the genre on what 
typically country artists are quote unquote allowed to say. I, I know that's not true that they're bounded, but usually there's there's stereotypes around country music, and that's why I love um, about this this album is because everyone that says like, oh, I like music except country, always just has the preconceived like you're saying expectations or stereotypes about the politics surrounding it or the top like the the bro country auto-tuneness of it all all the other things like oh it's about a, always about a truck and a girl it's like well no like I, and I love how this is just a perfect example of other artists out there that are challenging this genre and showing it's not bounded by these topics it's not bounded by your expectations and and stereotypes about what country is it's nice to see that um we have someone like sturgill now in the country music industry someone to probably show people that like hey you don't have to satisfy these expectations you could do something different if you want that's more towards your personal what you want out of your music not necessarily what your record label says will sell the most or will satisfy the most uh of your audience um and i don't know it's just it's it's just that's kind of the thing i get from this album it's just a nice breath of fresh air into country and it's very cool to see in here and i'm very glad that it seems like sturgill now is kind of made his break almost from this album by getting grammy recognition and all that so it'll be really interesting to see where he goes from here um and just to see what he does next is i i don't know what's next after this it's like oh man what, where do you go after what you do instrumentally here do you continue to do this kind of same thing or you find other influences that you can kind of challenge country with um so i don't know i yeah it, i mean kind of long-winded way to say that i think this is a great way to end the songs it kind of puts a little cherry on top of sturgill challenging the whole music uh country music industry so i'm gonna turn it back to amy amy what are, what were your thoughts on the last few lyrics there you know i i struggle with those too because i i agree that getting your single source of news from you know fox or cnn and and you know it it becomes confirmation bias right you're reading what confirms what you have made up already in your mind um and i think the anecdote to that is actually the opposite i i don't think it's the solution is to turn off your tv and turn off the news and to stop the flow of information i think it's to just be aware of the fact that there are there are different storylines, different narratives. I mean, nothing, nothing is as it seems and you need to keep an open mind. And so not a closed one. And, and I think the last couple of lines of this perpetuate, like, you know, close your mind. Cause it's all just bullshit. You know, that's sometimes how I feel, but at the same time, I think having us all not be so polarized and having us all like seek the truth comes from listening to one another and maybe maybe yes you listen to fox news but then you turn around and listen to msnbc too <laughs> you know um so i i don't know i just i i really like sergio simpson and i really like the music that he's put out but this song i just i listen to the lyrics and i'm just like hmm ouch um i kind of disagree but you know it's Everyone is, you know, that doesn't mean I'm not going to, 
I'm not. I'm gonna skip this song. As I mentioned before, I, I'm skipping Sarah the Love Ballad. <laughs> <laughs> I do listen to this song and I like it, like musically. So it's it doesn't mean I'm just shutting it out. Um, I, I just am more open to other people's ideas, and this is promoting closing it off. And you know, it's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. And I'm like, well, you know, you may think that, but don't shut everything off and live under a rock. I know it's pretty cozy under here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, we don't have to agree on every song. We don't have to have the same interpretation of every song. We don't have to, you know, have the same ideas. I, I, I like I said it before, I, I struggle with this particular one. I had a feeling you would potentially have issues with or take uh, issue with the uh, last few lyrics as well. Yeah, everyone's opinion comes from the sum total of their experiences up until this point. And obviously, like the sum total of Sturgill Simpson's experience up until this point has led him to think this. Um, you know, for right or for wrong, the sum total of my experiences up until this point has led me to think something different. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, and that's what makes this album so amazing is that it's, it, it talks about a lot of different things and, you know, around the central theme of this is my letter to my son. This is how my son will know who I am or who I was. Uh, I mean, it's not just, oh, I love you so much. And it's not just turn off all the news. It's all bullshit. It's, it's a, a mix of everything. Um, and, and that just speaks to like how humans are complex. Like this, this shows a complex guy and him trying to explain who he was to his son. And so I, you know, well done. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we can all agree this is a great record. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So to close, I thought it would be um, kind of a fun exercise to, you know, I was reading um, an NPR article of how he got the inspiration for structuring the album this way as a letter to his son. And he said that my paternal grandfather, when he was in the army in World War II, he was over in the South Pacific and he thought he was going to die. And he wrote a letter to my grandmother and their newborn son, thinking that he wasn't going to come home. And years later, after he was dead, and then once she'd passed, I was at her house and I just decided I'm going to read this letter. And I probably learned more about him in those few pages than I could have ever sitting in a room with him. I remember going down the road on a tour bus one day and thinking, what if I could just write a letter to my kid telling him exactly who his dad was? Like everything I'm going through right now at this point in my life. It was just like, okay, I'm going to make this really pure and beautiful thing for my son and incorporate all this music that I loved outside of and other than country or bluegrass, which is all I've really had a chance to represent up until now. So, wow. <laughs> it, I know. That's, it's, a, that's very well said. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's it's interesting. So if if you could write a letter to your kid telling him exactly who his dad was or who his mom was, what would you say? I mean, if you let's let's try to keep it brief. So, like, if you could boil it down to up until your up until now, how would you represent yourself to your your son or daughter, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> me? Oh, why you're throwing me first? I'm oh, you, throwing the baton at your face. I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Amy, you're the one that's having kids soon. Yeah, I know. First. I was like, I, I'll I'll go I'll go I'll go first since I'm. <laughs> I've got this on the horizon. Yeah, I'm due in two months, so it's uh, it's pretty soon here. So I, I think that what I would 
kind of what I was saying earlier, it's to me, it's all about having an open mind and that, you know, I've had been so fortunate to have a lot of experiences in my life where I see how a lot of different people live and how when people tell you or have like a black and white mentality towards something, it's usually, you know, 50% of the truth. And that if I could tell my son or daughter, it's always be curious, always be learning, always ask more questions and you can absorb information. Um, and then it's your job to figure out for yourself. Okay. What's the other 50% of this story? You know, kind of like when two of your friends are in a fight and one of them tells you it happens this way and you go talk to the other one and turns out it happened a completely different way. The truth is somewhere in the middle. Everyone's got their own bias. So I would, I'd make that a point. Um, I'd also tell my son or daughter that their mom was, uh, more of a risk taker than probably meets the eye <laughs> and that uh, it's okay to take risks in your life and usually they uh, they lead you to bigger and better things. So you can't, you can't live your life afraid. That would be the two things I would go through. Yeah. And I'd, I'd frame it in my travels and my relationships. Yeah, it's really interesting because you're right. I mean, you have traveled a lot and seen a lot of people and probably have seen and understood a whole lot bunch of different world views from people when you're traveling overseas or even different states. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. I I agree that like if you see that much and many different world views, it's very it's kind of cool as a traveler, you can be almost an observer and just kind of like digest things and formulate your own opinion. I think that's very well said. I I don't know necessarily what I would say who I was to the kid because literally I am I've done nothing of my life I'm final year of school so it's like congratulations you have done nothing but tap resources and try to become a person <laughs> so it's like okay um but what I would say to them is work towards becoming the best version of yourself always seek and work towards self-improvement and whatever that looks like. If you're an artist and you really enjoy that, make yourself the best artist that you can be. Or any of you in terms of your personality and your, your traits, try to become the best person, um, best representation of yourself. And that, it's not, that's not to say that you should change yourself to formulate to what's going to do this or that, but like whatever defines you and whatever you think you are, make you the best version of that. And that's that's probably what what I would say to them is that life's a little too short to be too lackadaisical about things. Try to always strive for self improvement and how you can be better. And um, I don't know. That's probably what I would I would say. Um, but again, ask me in five years, and it'll probably be different because it's my I, my whole life experiences are going to be different and be changing over the next five years as I come out of school. So. Um, but yeah, as for now, I would say it's, it's definitely towards, a uh, generate towards self-improvement for that. Yeah. And the flip side of that, I mean, you could take as, you know, apathy gets you nowhere. So, you know, it's, it's interest in something and working towards being better at something is always going to be better and get you further than just being apathetic towards everything. Yeah. It's easy to be apathetic. It's hard to be interested. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so i don't know that's, that's probably what i would say just right off the bat if i had to think of it now but 
What about you, Mark? Well, shit, you guys have really good ones. <laughs> oh, all right. I so truth be told, I really have no idea what I would I would say. Um, well, think about you know you're writing a letter to your kid, telling him who exactly you were, helping him or her get to know you, and so yeah, you can have ideas to give them, but it has to kind of make sense in the context of your life. Oh boy! All right. Uh, uh, all right, I'd say don't live your life in the newsfeed. <laughs> and that could be taken a number of ways. Don't live your life in Twitter. I don't know. My viewpoints have been changing a lot recently with regards to social media and, um, you know, tech addiction. It's, it's been starting to get to me a little bit. So I'm definitely concerned for how kids nowadays, even like not just now, but I mean like in the next coming years, how they're going to manage this. Because like so many of the mistakes I've made, so much of the stupid shit I've done is lost, thankfully, because I wasn't posting about it on Facebook, and friends weren't posting images of it on Twitter or on Tumblr. Um, I just sort of was able to fly under the radar for a lot of the stupid shit I did, but um, or said. Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. everything on the internet's forever. Yeah, yeah. Every single one of your relationships isn't documented in detail. You know, it's... Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, everyone has the blunder years, and unfortunately now for generations going forward... It's going to be recorded forever. And so have your life outside of the feed. Don't be consumed by it. Mm-hmm. And don't yeah. let it to consume you. Um, so, I mean, this probably doesn't necessarily completely address the spirit of this question, but that is the thing that's on my mind the most with regards to, like, the future now. Um, and I guess it does say a little bit about me and, like, you know, where I'm coming from, where I, I've sort of lived that and... uh I've sort of seen both sides, like the time before this and the time after this transition. So I guess if it's the bill a little bit. Well, you know, I'm. it's an inter- interesting you say that because I'm kind of dealing with that now. Um, I've received a lot of questions of why haven't I like announced my pregnancy on social media and, you know, kind of, you know, posted pictures of the bump and things like that. And it's strange because I feel this un like indescribable urge to protect my kid from having an online presence before he or she is even in the world. And and even when they're, you know, before they have the conscious choice, like, I don't know what I'll do. Will I, will I post photos of a baby, you know, up until, I mean, how weird would it be? I guess is what I'm trying to say is you're 15 years old. You go to create a social media account on whatever's popular in that future day and age. And you already have hundreds or thousands of photos of you all already online and people, you know, your parents saying things about you online. I mean, don't you think that would be kind of weird? Yeah. It's like your baby book is public. Right, right. Exactly. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that yet. So I've chosen to figure it out first before I go posting. And I think the solution will probably be that I'll take a more private approach to sharing just with, you know, family and close friends. So that when when our kid grows up, it's can decide for itself and can start with a clean slate and doesn't have an online presence already. So it's it, it, Mark, I hear what you're saying because I I'm kind of struggling with that. Like you know, my husband and I have been talking about it. What what's our approach going to be to sharing? <laughs> what's our approach going to be to online activity? And it's it's different than anything I think our parents had to, had to deal with when we were born. Yeah, every generation has its challenge. Yeah, (laughs) definitely.
Well, I think we had a great discussion today, and uh, it's uh, fitting because this truly is a fantastic record, and I think it deserved it. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, no problem. Uh, thanks for having me. It was it was fun. I I enjoyed it as always, um, and I agree. This was uh, uh, I was really excited and uh, happy to to hear all your different viewpoints on this, and I was really excited because I mean I actually haven't talked to you guys not really outside of this podcast, an exception maybe to you, Mark, a little bit about this album in depth. So. It was really fun to get the chance to do that. Absolutely. Always learning new things. And speaking of which, Amy, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thanks, guys, for inviting me back. It's fun. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And thank you, listener, for tuning in. All materials referenced during the show are available in the show notes included with this podcast and on badmusichurts.com. Thanks again and see you on the other side. Mm-hmm.